0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stemmen Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We have an exciting episode today, but before we begin, um, just a couple things to talk about, Micah. So, um, we could do Stories Gone Wild, or do you want to do Mail Call first?
1: Well, I think we should do Mail at the end.
0: You want to do Mail at the end? Okay. We And we
1: skipped and we ditched uh, Stories Gone Wild last week. So
0: Okay, well then let's go ahead and go to Stories Gone Wild. So, Micah, why don't you go ahead and start us off? Yes,
1: yeah, so I have two, and they're doozies. Um, and they're short. I won't take too much time. But the first, um, we we spoke over the last couple of weeks about the Kaga Firm thing, and mm-hmm. we kind of talked about, um, we initially talked about it with Jordan, uh, from Nerd Talk with Jordan Holstead, and like, didn't really know anything about it other than this is something that's happening right and so and then our general director jim lyon got up on facebook a couple of weeks back and kind of shared what the church god believes and why and then you and i did a kind of like a rebuttal a -hmm. follow-up you know if you will to that episode um i've only had the chance to talk to a couple of folks um who have watched the live stream the 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 thing that jim did um And we went to dinner last Sunday after church with a group of friends and one of them uh, we've known forever, but they, they told me that they watched Jim's address Mm -hmm. and the one comment, the two comments they made was one, they thought it was a solid address. They thought that it was very well put together and that it was a good timely address to the church of God. And the other comment that she made, which was not negative in a, in a, And, you know, in a sense, but it was like. She kept saying that or no, she iterated the fact that Jim kept saying over and over again that he was a straight white male. And I don't know if you caught on to that or not, but because you said you skipped through it a little bit to get to the meat. I
0: did. I I, I did catch some of that. Yeah.
1: But at the beginning, um, he kept saying, you know, I'm an older white male. I'm a straight white male. I'm an older older white male and I'm a straight white male. And so like she thought it was funny that, you know, he kept having to say that over and over again and she didn't understand why. So Mm. that was my first story. But she said other than that, it was very well put together. Second story's gone wild um, is, you know, I shared before we started recording, but yesterday um, actually a couple of weeks ago we shared in one of the episodes we did about the cost of of going to national convention for the church of God, which starts today Mm -hmm. as we're recording, it starts today and it goes through the weekend. And um, we were talking about how astronomical the price is. And so I decided that, you know, I'm going to try to attend and vote for general assembly, which is going to be held virtually. I think that um, I think that the main sessions at night are free and you can watch via live stream. The General Assembly, if you're an ordained minister, there's a fee. It's thirty dollars. You can watch online. And um now is that gonna get
0: raised up to eighty when the price is probably it's it's
1: probably gonna be triple next year. Um but uh I don't know if you know the Scott because did you go to a lot of G- or uh, a lot of national conventions or have you went to a lot of national? Conventions? I, I went
0: to I went to when they were doing like the clusters. Like I went to one of the cluster ones that they the did. Regional, like, like one, yeah, the regional ones. So okay. yeah, I went to the regional so,
1: ones. At least in my experience growing up in the church of God, growing up in a pastor's home, I remember the GA session part of camp meeting, part of convention being one day, one afternoon kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This year, apparently they're doing one today from 2 to 4.30, tomorrow 2 to 4.30, and Saturday 2 to 4.30. So there's three different sessions of General Assembly. So I was going to ask you if you had um, heard of that or not, but apparently I don't know if you yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm kind of confused as to why they're doing three. So in reference to my second story's gone wild, I decided last second that I was going to pay the $30 and jump on a virtual version of General Assembly just so Mm -hmm. I could see what's going on, see what we're going to vote on, see what we're going to talk about, see who's talking, everything we're going to, you know, see if we can get a glimpse of, you know, who's actually being there and who's not, you know, because you and I kind of report on this stuff and we talk about it on the, you know, on the regular with Jordan and other pastors and leaders that we know. And so um, I called yesterday. Um, to Anderson Church of God Ministries, which is where our uh, our national offices are in Anderson, and um, I I couldn't for the life of me on Church of God Ministries website find what time GA was, and so mm-hmm. uh, before we started recording, you went, I showed you the website, and it was just really really difficult to find. Yeah. So um, ultimately, we found out that it was two to four thirty Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And so when I called Church God Offices, I said, hey, I'm a pastor. I would love to register virtually for this. Is it $30 one time or is it $30 for each day? She said it's $30 one time. Here's the funny part of the story's gone wild. My name is Micah. Micah is not a fairly common name like Tom or Scott or John or mm-hmm. Paul or whoever, right? So like I get on the phone with this lady and she was like, what's your name? And I was like, Micah. And she was like, Michael? And I was like, no, Micah. And she was like, Mike? And it was like, no, Micah, like the Old Testament prophet. Meanwhile, <laughs> my wife is in the car with me, and she is dying laughing because I said, like the Old Testament prophet. And here I am talking to Church of God Ministries, who we are ordained through. And they didn't know who Micah was. And I, don't, I just don't know if she just couldn't hear me, but I, we were laughing. You know, I oh I had to press gosh. the I had to press the mute button on my phone because we were laughing so hard. <laughs> that she couldn't spell my name and she didn't get the joke that Mike is an old testament prophet that predicted the birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem. And so <laughs> And so Oh man. The rest of the evening my wife was like, Mike, Michael. She's like, I can't I can't deal with this. And so like I, I just don't know what it is, but like as we are I'm um, recording right now. I actually have another computer on in the background with the live stream for the general assembly going on, and it looks like there's 97 folks online. They're doing a wide shot of the of the room. There's there's not a ton of people there, but you can see Jim Lyon there and Esther Cottrell and some other leaders okay. in the church. But I don't I don't know. I just I, Alicia and I talked about it, and it's just like I just can't justify spending that kind of money. Um, and when we talked the last time, a couple of weeks ago, I I included things like lights, hotel, um, registration, but I didn't include things like food and a rental car and, you know, you know, all those other logistics that you have when you travel. And so I just can't think of a, a reason as to why I would spend fourteen, fifteen hundred $1,500. And yes, it's, it's every other year, but like, I, I think Scott, that we're in this generation of like, oh, we can just throw it on a zoom. And like my wife, so my wife also works in higher ed and we've shared that before on the show, but like, she said that her office ever since the pandemic they don't travel anymore for conferences they do everything virtually so like she used to she traveled one year down to new orleans and then like there was another conference that her her colleagues went to like seattle they just say it costs too much money and you can jump on a zoom call and do it for like next to nothing and not have to deal with all the traveling expenses
0: well yeah and i think that's kind of a big thing too because i uh this is probably a couple years ago uh one of the um, music studios that I always follow the music and like the Christian music scene, they're talking about how in the early days, you know, that office space, people would always come into work. And now really all they have is they have like a, they're renting out like a little small office for people who do want to come in to like work in an office space. But basically it's like, besides like the warehouse to ship out like all the CDs and the web store and everything else. Everybody works from home. And then it's like, well, if you, we have a place in Seattle if you want to do an office space, but frankly, you can work from home. And as long as you're working from home and doing what you need to do, that's pretty much it. And I think even like a lot of tech companies now, like a lot of times it's like, well, if you can work from home, then work from home. Or if you're, or if you're someone where you're like, you know, I have two kids, it's, it's, you know, school's out. I really need to go somewhere, you know, if Starbucks isn't, you know, here, here's like a little, space and even or even like now like i know when i before i left stanton there was like a place where literally all it was was it's like it was this hub where you could just walk in you could pay for a space and you could just walk in and rent the space out and basically it can kind of be like your own little like quiet nook for you to be able to do all your work and that
1: yeah and
0: it's like oh okay so i mean i wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing that more and more i would i'd be surprised I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if eventually down the road, everybody who works at the national office, there would be no national office. Like, you still have, like, your Warner Press to do all the books and the flyers and that whole, like, printing division. And But other than that, I mean, I don't see why the general director needs to be – have an office, especially since most of the time Jim, it's like, oh, hey, I'm over here in Seattle, or hey, I'm over here in, like, Texas. Like, he he travels a lot for – His job, so it's like he doesn't really need an office.
1: I know that, like the
0: stuff he needs to do.
1: I know that my good friend Todd, um, he works for Lexus Nexus, Lexus Nexus as a uh, like a consulting technology engineer or something like that. He during COVID, he was already working prior to COVID. He was already working two to three two to three days a week from home. During the pandemic, his company sold their building. That they worked in, yeah, and just said, "Hey, you guys are working 100% remote from now on because we don't have to rent and we don't have to pay for office spaces and we don't have to pay for buildings that were half empty anyway with air conditioning and electricity and things like that." Um, another friend of mine, Michael, he uh, he's also into, uh he's a software engineer or something like that. He's in the IT world too. Mm-hmm. Same deal. They he he was driving an hour to downtown Cincinnati every day, and then when COVID happened, and they worked from home, he they basically sold their building. And didn't renew their lease or whatever, and was like, Hey, we'll just work from home from now on, and we can, we can do that. So, um, you and I are both in education right now, doing higher education stuff. And so, like, guess what? Our degrees are online. Our lectures are online. Our homework assignments are online. I know you have to go for a couple of weeks for intensive, but mm-hmm. I just think it's another, that's another area where. Where the church of God can really take a look. Yes, community is important. Yes, gathering together is important. But the reality is, people from, I don't know, Portland, Oregon aren't going to fly to Tampa.
0: Well, and that might, and even that might be the thing, because even with the regional conferences, maybe that would be your gathering together time because you're gathering with people. And you know, you might have like some people like I don't know, like I mean, I'm not sure if your dad tries to hit all the regional things across the state.
1: But... Oh, I don't want to talk about that. No, uh, he... <laughs> but, I
0: mean, well, but one I year,
1: one I... year. So he he's in he's in eastern eastern Pennsylvania, and one year yeah. he went to the Philadelphia one. And my grandmother, who's still alive, his mother lives ten minutes from our house, and so one year he went to the Philadelphia regional convention. He came to visit my grandmother the same week as the, the the week they were doing the Anderson one. So like he just hopped over to Anderson and yeah attended that one as well, but he didn't go to like all of them, all of them.
0: <laughs> yeah. He didn't go to Sacramento or wherever, like the, the West coast. But I think those are the things where, you know, the regional ones can be more of your, okay, here's the gathering, but then your general assembly, it's like, well, because again, if you're trying to get space and book hotels and book convention space and you're having bare bones people show up I'm sure that's a lot of money just to write those contracts and Mm. then I know like with some contracts when you're booking rooms it's like well you know you have to at least fill at least 75 or 80 percent of the rooms that you say you're going to block and if not then you're going to you know they'll release them back to the general public and then whatever ones you don't sell, then you're going to have to pay for those rooms. So that's kind of a big cost if you book a bunch of rooms and then you didn't end up using them and they are not able to book them at the rest of the thing. So, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, so for my story's gone wild, mine's just kind of a little bit of a funny one. So I have to set it up because I'm not sure who the comedian was. But I remember probably a couple of years ago, I heard this comedian talking about how He was walking around and he was, you know, at a Starbucks or something. And as he was walking through to get Starbucks, a woman was walking out and she said, excuse me. And he's just like, what? Like he didn't understand the word, which I mean, I've heard that word in like Wayne's world. I think like Wayne Campbell said it like one thing as a joke, but that someone was actually using it and it wasn't excuse me. They kept saying, excuse me. It so that was like a big joke. And I thought, oh, and I'm thinking, yeah, that's kind of funny. But I'm like, you know, that's probably an older woman, you know, so it's probably like a catchphrase thing. So Monday, I'm at Cedar Point with my family. My We went up there, took the kids up there. My mother-in-law and my stepfather-in-law was up there. So it's like, okay. So we did some stuff. So me and my son, we go get a snack. And we go and we sit down at this table. And there's this teenager, probably about... 14, 15 years old, blonde hair, and he goes, Excuse me, sir. (laughs) Are you borrowing this chair? And I just sat there, like, wait. And it was like one of those things, like, wait, what did you just say? Excuse me? Like, you do know that's not a real word. Like, it's excuse me, but he said, Excuse me. Like, I I can understand, like, if he was trying to like get through and he goes, Oh, squeeze me or something. But I was just so blown away by that. Like, it's like, I don't know. Like, for me, it's not that funny, but I just sat there and I'm thinking, that's so weird. Like, someone who's younger, way younger than I am, is using the term exqueeze me. And it's like the only time I've heard that term was Wayne's World. I don't know if someone else used it or if it's like a, or it's someone like a YouTuber or something. Like, I don't know, but I'm just like, how's that word coming back? Like, that's like a, that was dumb at the beginning and it's still dumb today that people are saying it. Like, I don't know.
1: But, But not even, let's not even get down this rabbit hole, but like the the students that I have at Miami right now, they're using a whole new slang that I've never dreamed of. Yeah, they
0: use words like yeet and let's go.
1: Or slay.
0: Or slay. That slays.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, what does that mean? And they they can never give me an answer when I ask them that. So I stopped asking.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Can you please give me a Webster dictionary terminology of the word "slay"? Because as I see it, you're trying to kill me, and I don't appreciate that as a as a member of the Miami University community. Blah blah blah. All right, so uh, we said we'll do mail call at the end, so we're going to go ahead and dive right into our main topic, which Mike and I we did a conversation about. Hiring church staff and mainly administrative assistants, secretaries, maybe even sub ministry roles like children's ministry, worship leader, and how those seem to kind of fall under a different category than like when you're hiring like the lead pastor, because that seems to kind of go through a whole different system. Like, so today we're going to kind of talk about, you know, kind of the do's and don'ts um from our experiences of hiring a lead pastor so um i'll kind of start this off by saying like you know when i got hired over where i'm at now over at bexley united methodist church um the pastor put something i'll put in put like a um a job posting out there i saw it i applied to it we had a conversation that Then that conversation led to me having a Zoom conversation with her. And I think it was also like with the um, pastoral board, talked with them. And then I had an in-person interview where I drove to Columbus, had an in-person interview with a couple of people just to have another conversation. This was like mixed up of just like various peoples from different ministries of the church. And then after that, like literally those people were kind of more of a sounding board But ultimately, the lead pastor had the final say on if I was going to get hired or not. So, and there's been a couple of other positions when I've applied for other sub positions. Really, it all boiled down to the lead pastor basically saying yes or no. Um, And I haven't really been in a setting where that wasn't the norm. Um, A lot of times it's usually pastor finds somebody like a sub position like a youth minister the elder board or some other team interviews them and then at the end they can make some suggestions but at the end of the day it's usually the lead pastor who hires them is that kind of your experience as far as like you know as far as why the lead and pastor it goes through a whole why how a lead pastor hires other staff or how other sub staff is hired mainly it's the lead that kind of makes that final decision?
1: Well, I, I think, so I shared a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but I've seen it done a number of ways. Right. But like, in most of my experiences the lead pastor, you know, with the blessing of the elder board, mm-hmm. you know, is, is the one who says, uh, you know, is the final go-to for hiring and firing of staff. Yeah. Um, there's kind of this, uh, Triangle, if you will, like you have associate staff, lead pastor, and then board of elders. Um, and in my experience, it's it's been, you know, I've I've walked into an interview setting with the lead pastor, and they've said, "Do you want the job? Yes or no?" And you know, if I feel confident about it. I say yes. Never really talked to the to the staff about it, and never really talked to the elders about it. But I've also been in situations where I've went in and I've met with elders and I've met with associate staff and I've met with the lead pastor and I've met with the elders and, like, you know, did a series of interviews. Um, And I guess it just depends on the size of church, how the church wants to proceed with the the hiring of staff. Um, Mm -hmm. The modern setup, I believe, is what you're saying, though, like, you know, a lead pastor is accountable to a board of elders, the staff, associate staff you know, creative arts, youth, worship, executive, uh, senior adults, pastor, et cetera. Um, they're all accountable to the lead lead pastor. And then um, the lead pastor, you know, says who stays and who goes or vice versa. Now, I've also seen it too, where, you know, say the lead pastor leaves and the church hires a new pastor. That new pastor comes in and I've, I've heard stories of the lead pastors coming in and wiping out the whole staff and bringing a whole new staff in. Yeah. Have you heard that? Have you been a part of that? I have
0: never been a part of that, but I have heard that happen before. And um doesn't really go too well. I mean, I think not necessarily on like the getting the work done, the administrative side, but I think more of the relational side that usually kind of has a lot of um sting to it, as you will. Um so yeah, so when it so when it comes to hiring the lead pastor, then that's a whole different ball game. And and I think just to kind of sum it down, because I mean I know a lot of churches they either have the call system, which is kind of what Michael, you and I are used to within the church of God. It's that you feel called to be the pastor of this church. So versus an appointed, where usually you have like a bishop or someone who's like kind of like a regional pastor who says, Okay, this church has vacancy. I'm going to go ahead. And I'm going to grab some a pastor and think that they may be a good fit for this church. And usually, depending on if you're Lutheran, Methodist, or Presbyterian, usually the church can say yes or no. Or in other times, you don't have a choice. It's basically the bishop saying, "Okay, here's your new pastor," and then that's it. And usually, the congregation doesn't have a choice. Where in a call system. Um, There is a choice because even if you have a search team that is put together of people from the congregation who basically are putting out feelers, putting out job postings, and then you get a pool of pastors, they kind of sort through it. They finally narrow it down to maybe a couple, interview them, and then after a couple interviews, depending on how many interviews it goes, they usually will say, okay, this is the person we want to present to the congregation and then the congregation votes and decides if that's the lead pastor or not. In other cases, it may just be, well, we'll bring this person in. But at the same time, for the congregation to see him, get their thoughts. But really, it's the elder board that's going to make the final decision if this is going to be the pastor or not. It just, A lot of it varies depending. But when it does come to a lead pastor, it really is a lot of planning and preparation from the church's end to really try to find someone. And not only that, but we have to remember that a lot of these pe- people within these congregations, some of them don't have a lot of experiencing hiring people.
1: Mm, that's a good point. A lot can of I these people,
0: that? a lot of these, I mean, you may have someone who like, I mean, I can think about, you know, I could think about like, you know, the smaller churches I work at, usually you always have kind of, the same handful of people that are always on there. So once there's a pastoral transfer, it's like, okay, we know what to do because I've been on the team. I've done this before. We've searched for a pastor, but there could be some other people who have literally no clue as to, okay, what do I do? And sometimes they can get help from like maybe a state agency or like the state ministries. But for the most part, like if you have a Decent sized church, and you're always changing people out, and you're having more people be part of leadership. So it's not the same three or four people that kind of dominate the board. It's very easy for people to go into this and feel overwhelmed and not really know. Well, besides the administrative sides and the intricacies of, okay, well, I have this site, or here's these websites that I could put church job postings on. But how do you really a find a pastor, and how do you sort through all the resumes that come in? So uh Micah, I just so to kind of set that stage, what are some of the ways you have seen churches try to navigate from planning to executing a hiring of a pastor?
1: I don't know if I have enough time for that. Um,
0: (laughs) Just just give us like the quick snapshots.
1: (laughs) Well, so I wanted to ask you a question as you were talking. Yeah. And you talked about people like on a board of elders or a board of trustees never hiring somebody before or going Mm -hmm. through that process. Do you think that that's why it takes so long? Or that's one of the reasons it takes so long to hire a Uh, new pastor? Because like I can, there's a couple of, Mm. i kind of know the answer to that question but it's like it's i think it's part of the reason
0: well i think it goes back to i think yeah i would say so i think that i also would think if especially if you are a church organization where the congregation has the final vote I think there's a lot of pressure for the search committee team to not only a present somebody to the congregation, but making sure that they present somebody, because again, like, you know, when when I when I candidated down in Stanton, they paid for my travel down from Ohio to Virginia and back. They paid for my lodging. They they paid for, you know, I think they had like a believe they had I mean they paid for some food, but then everyone brought in a meal. So you have to think about like there's a lot of money being spent. So you want to make sure that this is the person that we think is going to be the best. And if the congregation's like, eh, nope.
1: Well, then... well let's, ta- let's take that a step further, Scott. What if, yeah. what if you, what if you, you Scott are candidating at a church, mm-hmm. you interview, the interview goes great. You try out, everything goes great. They vote you in and then you don't feel called and you pull yeah. the plug on it.
0: Yeah. Then, so there's a then lot.
1: it's like, then the church like, now what do we do?
0: Yeah. Because we, we and, thought we
1: found this person.
0: Yeah. And I think that's kind of, yeah. So I think that's kind of the big thing. Like, it's very tricky. And, you know, my dad, who, again, he's a CFO. The times when he's was on search committees, he's very good as far as saying, okay, here it is. Here's what we're going to do. And, I mean, they get very, they move very quickly in finding a hire. Um, like, right now, he's trying to hire someone to be his replacement when he retires. And they mm-hmm. do like kind of like a mentoring thing. So for that, like, you know, at the end of the day, he still has to present this person, but he's the one he's engaging. He's talking with them. He's understanding, kind of showing them how to do stuff. And then if my dad says, you know, I feel confident with this person taking over my position, then he can say, okay. This is who I recommend, but it's so different in a business. where in a lot of church. It seems like there's a lot of hands, a lot of opinions, which I think that's also another reason. It's not only the inexperience, but you have so many opinions that it takes a long time to really get down to the brass tacks, especially if you don't have like a really good vision of what you think the church needs in this next chapter, which I mean, I'll try and talk a little bit about that later.
1: Um, I just think it's it's always been amazing to me how long it takes a church to hire a pastor. I've I, I've grown up in it. My dad's a pastor. I've been serving in churches for over ten years. Uh, I and and what I mean by that, Scott, is like lead pastors, not like associate staff, not you know admin or office you know administrative staff. The lead pastor. I've been in churches, Scott, where it's taken nine months to a year to hire a pastor, right? I've been in churches where a church went three years without a senior pastor. Um, It it just blows my mind that either A, they're being too picky or B, just they're not in a healthy enough space to have a pastor right now because like we've we've talked about it on other episodes. Mm -hmm. Like maybe the church isn't in a good enough space and then like you get somebody who you think is going to be your next lead pastor and that person gets there. And then by the way, you're fired or we're going to shut the doors of the church. Yeah, that's, that's not good either. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> and so here's, so I guess I will kind of, so I guess the kind of, I guess I'll kind of talk about like maybe my three do's and my three don'ts, like really try to hit there. And then you can kind of throw like ones that you may agree with, or even ones that you say, well, this is one of my do's and one of my don'ts. So let's start. I want to start with the don'ts. Cause I feel like that's going to be probably the big thing that, um, people on here. So the one thing that I would say is don't don't neglect having a understanding of who your church makeup is. And and not only that but also the pulse of your church makeup. And and why I say that is Maybe you're a search team and you're thinking, okay, we really want a pastor who's energetic, who's very enthusiastic, that can get people out of the seats, to go out into the community, preach the gospel, and try to get people into the church. Okay, great. That sounds great. I think every church could say, I want a pastor like that. But you have to to remember that it's not just the pastor alone that brings people into the church. It's the entire culture. It's the entire body. So. If you're hiring somebody who's enthusiastic and young and everything else, but then they come in and they're saying, okay, everybody, we're doing this vacation Bible school and we need X amount of teachers, X X amount of people to pull it off and no one signs up. And then the pastor's like, okay, well, we... We have put registration out there. All the promotion. I now have like 30, 35, 40 kids and I have no volunteers because no one in the body wants to help out and do things. So can I even adequately pull this off or do I have to call friends or neighbors or people I know to ask them to take time out of their schedule to help me in my vacation Bible school because the people within my congregation are just not stepping up to the plate. So I think that's going to kind of be a big thing, and I think it's going to save you a lot of headaches. And and I and I and I mean this in a very, I want to try to be careful and not kind of say this in a mean way, but you know, if you're someone who's on this search team and you kind of know the makeup of the people, then it's important to kind of say, okay, are we a church that really wants to thrive and grow? and really try to go out in the community? Or are we a church that really needs to sit, reflect, and not necessarily have someone kind of preach to us until we close the doors of the church, but maybe you need a pastor who can maybe do a lot more of, ripping out the weeds and the rot spiritual rot within the church to kind of help breathe a new fresh spirit into the church to kind of help with some of the healing and some of the things that need to come happen in the church and then once they get to a point of healthiness then the pastor can kind of do a leap and go okay now we're going to do things or maybe it might be okay that pastor's time has gone and now it's time to hire them and i know in some churches usually that Person that kind of help navigate, usually an interim pastor, kind of that in between. Um, some churches can hire someone like that. But for the most part, you know, the church needs to understand their culture and what they actually need to help them go forward. And sometimes that may be very evangelistic and try to bring people into the church. Other times it may just be trying to deal with some of the spiritual trauma or some of the spiritual abuse or some of the spiritual stagnation. That's happening in the church and try to get all that stuff out to kind of help empower people to be more mission focused. So that's one of my um, so that's one of my I guess one of my don'ts is, you know, don't, you know, try to figure that out. Um, Another don't is don't be so. Don't be so I can't even think of the word now. Don't be so restrictive with the type of pastor you're looking for. A lot of churches will want to hire somebody. They may say, you know, we want someone with a master's degree in theology or religion or ministry. Okay. There are some churches who say, we want someone with a doctorate and 20 years experience. Okay. So when you put that out there, that's going to A... That's You're going to get a response for people who probably have 20 years experience and a doctorate. At the same time, we live in a culture where there's not a lot of pastors out there that, A, have 20 years experience, or they may have 20 years experience, but they don't have a doctorate. So in some ways, you may be pulling from a very shallow bar- barrel of candidates. And if you get like five candidates and you're like, man, I don't like any of these then the temptation is like, well, we want someone with a doctorate. We want someone. So we're going to keep our registration open. So now you're just keeping registration open. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why sometimes it takes a long time for churches to find a pastor because they are so narrow in what they want that they have an unrealistic expectation of the, of the job field out there to get someone. And especially maybe you find a guy, but maybe that person does not want to live out in the rural areas of Ohio getting a salary of $25,000 a year. Hmm. They may not want to do that. So you kind of have to kind of have some wiggle room. Now, on the same token, you don't want to just say, well, we'll take anybody because you can get – we want someone with like five years of of church experience. It doesn't matter if they have a bachelor's, a master's, or a doctorate, and you may get – who knows what you may get? You may get a lot of choices, but now you're going to have to sort through um, a lot of resumes. So I would say put what you want, but then also be flexible because I know there's been a couple of times where I've applied the positions where I knew that I didn't have the experience per se, like church experience, but I also had the degree. So it was one of those things. Where it's like And even sometimes with me putting stuff out there that I didn't meet the criteria, I still at least got a phone call and an interview because they're like, okay, we're seeing a lot of stuff, even though you don't have the experience, we see what you have done in a short amount of time that we see that you may actually be a good fit for our church. And I think that's also another thing, too, is that if you get those resumes that don't fit your criteria, don't be so quick to just throw them in the trash can. Um. Try to, um, you know, try to seek those people out because those may be kind of like the Davids um, in the midst where God's saying this is the person I chose. Technically, by your rules, they shouldn't have applied, but for some reason they must have felt led or called to send your resume to this church, even though they don't fit the criteria. So there may be something there. (laughs) you're thinking about that
1: (laughs) no i i I have a there's a lot i could say but i was i was thinking as you were talking through that like Mm -hmm. you know we, we we've we're talking like really about you know the um not necessarily the qualifications but the you know a job description right and like what some churches perceive as the qualifications they want to be their lead pastor um Something that we don't talk a lot about, Scott, and you could you could be a you know testament of this, but like we, you're very fortunate in a situation right now where where the church you're at has a parsonage, Mm -hmm. where your housing is housing is included in your your package, right? Yeah. So like growing up, of the churches my dad pastored when I was growing up, we only owned one house of our own. So, I guess what I'm saying though is that like the salary package may not be the greatest in the world, or what me- people may perceive but if you you can if you can land a mm-hmm. gig in the Church of God or whatever church you're affiliated with oh, yeah. that is like i don't know fifty sixty seventy five thousand dollars plus housing where you don't have yeah. to buy a house and move your family across the country with no housing but have to go you know either sell your house that you're living in and buy another house all on the same process. That's yeah. that, that can be considered a part of the package. Exactly. Um, and I think a lot of people forget that when they're applying for jobs. Uh, yeah. But I think on the other side of that, there's a lot, I think long lost are the days of, of, of a lot of churches that have parsonages anymore because either they've, they've, they've not grown and they shrunk in size as a church. And they've had to sell the the property to, to, to put into their church budget so they can stay afloat mm-hmm. as a church. Yeah. Uh, they decide it's not worth it. They're you know it's it's almost like the church becomes a tenant, or I'm sorry, not a tenant, but a landlord for a tenant, which is the pastor in between pastors or well pastors are there and yeah, um, you know X Y Z. They did a one of the houses we lived in growing up. They did a ton of work before we moved into it and in remodeling, and they did a really good job. I love that house. I would buy that house today if I had the cash to buy it, just because I loved it. Right. So like, yeah. um, you know all that to say. Uh, you know, it's in higher ed. It's it's a little bit different, but it depends on where you are, right? Yeah. So they may consider fifteen years of experience in higher education or in a field related the same as somebody who has a master's degree plus, right? Hmm. Or they may be, depending upon the school or the the institution, they're determined to to, to hire somebody with a master's degree. So they can say, mm-hmm. hey, this person has a master's degree, or this person has a PhD, or this person has two bachelor's degree. One, you know, is in this, you know, in the specified field of where we're um you know we're hiring, right? Great example of this is I think I said it on a show that we did a couple of weeks ago, but like my university has academic advisors. Academic advisors advise students on what classes to take, keep them on track, and you know, in the area that they're taking courses in, whether it's music or art or business or whatever. And uh, to be an academic advisor at Miami University, you have to have a master's of education. Now, that's an entry-level job at Miami. Starting salary can be anywhere from 37000 to 45000 but mm-hmm. they want a master's degree. Yeah. Yep. Starting salary, master's degree, no remote option. Very little remote, right? The University of Cincinnati, same job, they only want a bachelor's degree. They're going to let you work from home, uh, you know, two to three days a week. Right at the start, and they pay more. It, we're thirty minutes apart, right? Isn't yeah. but it's a bigger school. They can offer more incentives, things like that. So, yeah. back to the church thing, I think, I think a lot of it has to do with where you are. You mentioned the word rural, Scott. Like rural, like is in socio-economic location, right? So, like if you're going to be a pastor and like you your family's from Northeast Ohio, right? hmm Yeah. Northeast Ohio. So like you and I both know I grew up in Northeast Ohio. I went to high school in Northeast Ohio, like literally went to school in the middle of a cornfield. The closest city to us was Pittsburgh and it was 45 minutes away. Right. So like the big city, um, you know, you go to a church, you're, you may get, you may be lucky to have things like a parsonage, You may Mm -hmm. get lucky to actually have a thing like a full-time salary and benefits, but the church you may be pastoring may be stuck in 30 years ago, still singing hymns, not ready to move forward, and you may have to face that going into that ministry situation. So like like you said earlier, just a few moments ago, it it may be a benefit of those who are serving on that search team to know what they're looking for, but also know where the church is yeah Does that make sense.
0: absolutely yeah absolutely and but if you're in a is, city
1: but if you're in a city yeah. and you're in a big church you may not have things like a parsonage and you may not have things like that benefit but you may have the full-time salary where you're making really good money and can go and buy can a afford house. yeah so uh, it is
0: it's it's a balance it's a balancing act i think even for a pastor you have to kind of understand like okay like even like a lot of times like when i'm applying for a job or i'm thinking like okay what's the you know if they don't have a parsonage what's the cost of living What's the average house? What's the cost of living? And, and I had to look all that stuff up and kind of do my own research. So that's kind of a big step. So uh, the third thing I would say is don't ghost people. Hmm. If you're unsure, and if you're unsure what the term ghost means, it basically means never respond back to them. You can have an interview with somebody and if you don't see them as a good candidate, at least call them send an email, send a letter. Because again, when you're sending a resume, they have their email, they have a phone number, they have a mailing address on there. You can send somebody something and saying, hey, we appreciate you. But to me, the churches that don't even give a response is one of those churches where it's almost like I wouldn't even want to attend there like that's how turned off I am when 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 people get ghosted by churches especially people who are applying um at the same time you may be in a predicament but let's say you know you get down to your top two or top three people and you go and you're like okay this is our number one so we're going to do a candidate season and do this one thing i would recommend because it's very easy cuz a lot of times it's very easy that like for me, and I don't know if this is just more of my personality, but if I have an interview with somebody and they don't give me a timeline, because sometimes some will say, hey, just going to let you know, we have two more pastors we're interviewing. Uh, we you, we should give you, we should at least contact you and give you a word by next week. So, and if I don't hear anything from next, by next week, then automatically if I don't have the, if I don't have the goal or have the time to really call and say, Hey, just one double check. I'm automatically soon. If I don't hear by next week, I don't got the position and I've probably already moved on or I'm probably in talks with our church already.
1: Or yeah. so that's just a courtesy, right? It's a I courtesy.
0: Mean, um At the same time, I know when it comes to candidating, you have to be very careful because like the, i mentioned before you could have someone who you think is your number one you put it for your congregation your congregation's like no and they don't got the votes or they do get the votes and that pastor goes you know i really don't feel called here and then you're back to square one so you almost kind of want to and i don't want to say be transparent or be honest because you don't want to say oh by the way you're number two like because i think that doesn't feel good either like oh i wasn't their first choice but I think as a search committee, you can just say, hey, we're kind of in our final stages. We are still interested in you. And, he, and not necessarily just say, I'm still, you know, we see we see a lot of good qualities in you that we think might still be a good benefit, a good fit to our church. We will get back to you, you know, we hopefully we will get back to you within a week or two. You know, just to kind of say that. I mean, for me, it's like, okay. well, I'm still waiting, but I'm not going to be just sitting around. I'm still going to be applying to other positions or talk. And that may be a thing like, well, you know, I'm already in talks with and that can even help, too, because if you say that, you can be like, well, you know what? I'm already in talks with another church and they actually want me to candidate next week. So, you know, I mean, right now I'm kind of in the I'm kind of in a place of limbo. So if things don't work out at this church, you know I will definitely let you know either way. And so on the pastor's side, I can say, hey, I'm candid at this church. If they if they say they want me, I will let you guys know. So then you guys don't have to worry about, oh, is this guy going to do it or not? So it kind of so it's almost like a mutual thing. Um, at the same time, you know, if they say we'll call you back in two weeks and you're still waiting, and let's say the first one's a bust, they can go reach you and say, hey, we're we would like to have you come in candidate. So let's kind of schedule a time. Let's schedule this. And even if you want to schedule it out, and I wouldn't mind if you have the money, and I think that's kind of the big thing. If you have the funds to basically say, okay, we have three top candidates. Instead of going, well, this is number one, this is number two, no number three. Let's consider all three of these number ones. Let's say, hey, we booked this person this weekend, we book this person next week, and we book this person next weekend. And then that way. At the end, the church can then decide, okay, we like this person, and they can vote. And then from there, you can kind of go from there. So in that way, why you're if you're a pastor, you feel like, okay, you may not even know that there's other people candidating. You go, you candidate, and if you feel good about it, and then you may even be like, you know, I don't feel good about it. I'm just gonna call them and say, you know what, I don't feel called. You know, thank you for thank you for the opportunity. Um, so yeah, but either way, communication is always going to be important. If you say you're going to call someone back, please do it. Um, and sometimes one of the reasons why some people may come back is you could be in a place where you have some people who are for you think you're great. You could have like one or two people who are like holding out saying, I don't know. I don't know. Um, which I've had that happen when I have called and said, hey, what's going on? And they said, hey, here's what's going on. And they're very transparent with me. Um, you know, we have... A lot of you know, majority people are for you. There's a couple that are kind of holding out. So we may we may ask you to come back in to kind of talk to answer any questions or do a phone call interview or whatever to kind of get everyone else on board. And that's fine, you know, as long as you're transparent, that's gonna help. So just to kind of summarize my do and don'ts, because I kind of, you know, been jabbing, you know, don't don't hire someone that you want. But really assess the culture of the church and hire someone that you need. Uh, Don't don't restrict who you're looking for as a pastor. um, And don't be so wide open. But try to find a middle ground and then look for, and if you find some that don't fit the criteria, don't be so quick to disregard those. But really pray, ponder them, and look at it. So that's the things you should do. And then don't ghost people. Don't ghost the people that you're trying to hire as your lead, but do continue to be gracious and do continue to be in constant communication. And if you do set a timeline, keep up with those timelines. So those are kind of my three do's and don'ts of hiring a lead pastor. Any, any things that you would add or,
1: or. Well, I think I was thinking about as you were talking, Scott, but like one of the things that You you may want to think and put into perspective, especially in the the role of a lead pastor, is that in a lead pastor role, and, and I would probably even take it as far as, you know, maybe even a student ministry pastor or a worship pastor. It's pretty rare in the world, in any job, that you have to go in and try out before you know you have the job, right? In most circumstances, if you get a job, I don't know let's say Burger King or my job at Miami or Um I don't know, gas station down the street. You literally apply, you interview, you get the job, you start, right? There's no tryout and there's none of this like waiting period as far as whether you're going to be ghosted or not. So I think it's, it's, it's important to remind folks that when you go to be a pastor or try out to be a pastor for a lead position in a church, you interview with people and then you go literally preach to that congregation. It's not like, Hey, we like your resume. Can you start July (laughs) 1st? It's you try out, you talk to their elders and then they vote. You know, if it's that kind of circumstance, like we talked about earlier with the church of God, if, if you're not in that kind of situation, then you don't know. Um, yeah, I, there's there's a lot of things that I would say as far as do's and don'ts. Um, you also have to like one of the struggles I've really had over the last couple of years has has been like especially in the lead role, like stop looking for the perfect person. Mm. It's it's not going to happen. And like you said it a couple of weeks ago, Scott, in one of our episodes, but like you're not going to find somebody that's middle aged that has a PhD who's married and has children all at the same time. All also, yeah. and has 20 years of ministry experience. It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. Like, I hate to break it to you. So some of that stuff, like you said earlier with the, the search team, people trying to be cognitive of like what the church really needs and why some of those things are going to have to sacrifice, whether it's education or experience or married or family, whatever it may be, you have to think about what you really need and kind of lower your expectations. Another thing I want to think about really quickly is we, I don't know where else you want to go with this conversation, but like the, the idea that what about younger pastors and what, what about the whole experience conversation? What if somebody truly believes they're called by God and they can't get a break or can't find a church to go pastor and be the lead pastor of. And they truly think they're called to be a senior pastor and they can't get into the church and can't get in the door of a church because they don't have that quote-unquote experience. What are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think so that's a good one to add to. It's... Uh...
0: Can, can you can you say that again? Because I'm, I'm my mind's going everywhere, and I just want to make sure I don't get into a rambling bit. So let me so, yeah, try so to focus my mind.
1: <laughs> Scott Scott say "You and I are 20 years old again, or 25 years old again, and we're, yes. we're we feel like we're called to be a senior pastor of a church. Mm-hmm. They won't even look at us because we don't have quote unquote experience. How do we get our foot in the church if we don't have that quote unquote experience?
0: Yeah, so that's uh and I think the experience thing is also another word so let me let me let me go back so back in 2010 i'm going through my ordination i'm kind of going through the ordination process i'm getting close to graduating with my masters and up until this point i already have 10 years of ministry experience now it's not church ministry experience it's 10 years of camp ministry experience. I had a year of an internship of doing church ministry experience. And I also had a year of like counseling experience as a counselor. Okay. So that's all my experience. So there is a particular church in the Columbus area that their pastor was retiring. And I. it was one of those things where as I'm looking at churches and stuff, for some reason, there was something about this church that really gravitated towards my heart and i'm thinking should i apply to this because they again they were asking for somebody with a master's which i would have my master's but they were also asking for someone with 25 years of experience which i think actually was 15 which technically i would have had 10 if you count camp ministry in like a year but if they're just counting pastoral stuff then it was a year um so it was one of those things where I'm like, eh, should I apply to church sure or not? So I ended up having a conversation with the, um, which would be the associate director of Ohio Ministries at the time. And, you know, talking with her, she was thus very supportive, very affirming of my call to ministry. And then she kind of made the comment like, you know, and she mentioned that church's name. I didn't even mention anything that I was even interested in applying to this church. But she made the comment of. Well, you know, a church like this church, you know, they really want someone who has a lot of experience because it is a church that has, you know, hundreds of people versus a church that has like tens of people. And so it kind of it's in a way it was like, oh, OK, and it kind of put me off of not applying to that position. But then we get to like 2023. And I have literally seen this entire church go be to the kind of the mega to the Mecca of being one of the largest churches in Columbus to almost being a shade of its former self As it just completely went down here, and they've had at least I think maybe three pastors since that time, and at least a couple of them and every time every pastor that's come in there has tried to done something has left through some random reasons. And then of course, the one that's there uh, pretty much has taken a church that at least was having at least thousands and a couple satellite campuses to now only having hundreds and had disabled all their satellite campuses. And there's a part of me that still wonders, you know, if people are of a, of a spiritual mindset, if they're really seeking the Lord and, and the Spirit's moving within them, and the Spirit's really Moving and prompting a group of diverse people on this search committee to find the next lead pastor. You know, if I would apply and let's say I did get the phone call and let's say things went and I did get the position, you know, would the church be in a different spot now than it is? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Would I've been prepared? I mean, I could tell you would I be prepared to pastor a church that size? Absolutely not. But I also wouldn't have known that as that would have been my weakness and I would definitely needed to have the assistance of both the staff there, um, the board, and things to be able to help me navigate, to understand the culture, to help me with other things as I kind of put some of my fresh intake on some of the changes that might need to make, maybe some of the structural things that I need to do because, again... I had a lot of great ideas of how things could run. I think some of these ideas are still ones that, I mean, some of these ideas I'm doing today within my ministry context now, and I'm having great success if I would apply those, you know, and again, you know, hindsight's always 2020, Um, but I don't know. So I think that's always the big thing that I always struggle with because yeah, you want to put something out there. So you don't have, you know, the used car salesman who took a, who got his, ordination through an online degree from Billy Bob's theological school. And then they say, I'm a pastor. Like, you don't want that guy uh, being the lead pastor of your church. At the same time, I think there has to be a lot of wisdom in what you're doing. And I think a lot, and I think it's hard to navigate when you do have a diverse people of diverse perspectives, and some people may be moving in the spirits and some people are going to be moving in the spirit of administration uh, and of logic and a business that they're going to say, well, this is the type of person we want because they have every, because they check, they check off all the boxes. And which is why well, David, because the, all David's brothers checked off all the boxes of what it meant to be a King. And yet God kept saying, no, 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 no. And then finally it's like, well, we have our David, but he's kind of the runt of the family. And God's like, I want that guy. Right. I want David. I want the runt. And then what? that rut ended up kind of building up is the kingdom of Israel to its prominence.
1: Well, I'd also say too that like that this is that's a whole separate podcast if we want to continue that for next week or whatever, that, this is a great thought. But like somebody could be an amazing speaker but be terrible at administration. Oh yeah. Somebody could be really, really great at administration but not be the greatest of speakers. Um and that's another conversation where like you may you may want the best of both worlds. Uh, you may want to sacrifice some of the administrative work for the excellent teaching and preaching and vision casting. Um, And that's, you know, that's where like an office manager or an admin or whoever would come in and help or an executive assistant or something like that, where they could help keep that person on task. Yeah. But at the same time, let that person be the amazing speaker and person that God's called them to be. So
0: absolutely. And I mean, and I could say, you know, with my experiences here and even just the experience at my home church, there's been a couple of times where we've had people on staff who had a job, a certain job title. And then after a year or two, they ended up changing their job title. Because once you really, once the lead pastor or once other staff really saw the skills and the, the and like their the this person's strengths are saying, you know what, even though this is your ministry, I think you would better serve in this. So we're going to go ahead and change your job title and you're now going to be this, or we're going to create a job for you. And this is kind of the stuff you're going to do. And this is what you're going to be focused on. And then we try to offload kind of your weaknesses to volunteers or your weaknesses to another staff, part-time staff that we would hire or full-time staff. So, yeah, there's there's a lot. And it's, it is. It's very tricky. And, I mean, for those of you who are not pastors who may be kind of starting up looking for this pastoral search or you've been through one, we would like to kind of know – your process you know maybe there's something that you struggle with that you might say hey i really struggle with this what are some things that you know micah scott what are some things that you guys guys can know about can help us with that so again we would love those comments so feel free to uh, share those with me uh so before so before we leave mailbag uh, mailbag so like Micah said earlier, we have had two episodes, part one and part two, of the stuff between the Church of God and Church of God Affirm. And with those conversations, um, I have actually gotten some messages. I know we got some messages when we first put stuff. People are commenting on it. After the second one, we actually got two, co- two um people who have emailed me or sent me a message on Facebook, both of them are kind of one of the, um, authors, uh, one of the, the founding authors of church of God Affirm, And, uh, one of them says, I mean, and both of them have both said that the way we handled it, the way we talked about it, the way we kind of expressed our perspectives showed a lot of maturity, a lot of compassion, um, One of the persons said that our assessment of the church of God, um, relationship between the national state, it was very spot on how it's kind of disjointed. Um, and, and actually said, you know, we wish that, and this is going to might hurt for some of you who are listening. We wish that more people, when this topic came up, they would have had the grace and the thing to have these conversations and do so with gentleness and respect, um, one comment, though, is um, one of them mentioned that I think it was on our first episode. And I don't know who said it. It could have been you, me. It could have been Jordan. But they used the but one of the terms that was used was homosexuals and transgendered. Um, basically, it was brought up that, you know, those are kind of words that are kind of offensive to people within the LGBTQ A Q community, especially transgendered, as is perceived as a slur. So most people in the trans community want to be called either trans person, trans man, trans woman, etc. And I wrote back, I said, well, you know, we apologize for that. And they're very good as far as saying, I know there's a lot of rapid shifts in the language. And so it wasn't necessarily like they're beating us over the head, but they said they just really appreciated us not only bringing light to the issue, but being able to discuss and even depending on whether we agreed or disagreed with Church of God Affirm and kind of the original authors of it, they really appreciated the gentleness and the respect of us being able to handle this conversation, which I thought was, you know, good for us, you know, Uh, because I mean, and I think a lot of it is just because, you know, we want to try to be You know, we again when we're dealing with people, we always want to try to treat people with gentleness. And I know you mentioned your your friends who had the trans who has a trans son, or so. You know, I think that's was I'm I mistaken about that?
1: No, we we do have friends that who had a had a daughter who's now a son.
0: Okay, so you know, train a a trans a trans man now. Okay, yeah. So okay, yeah. So I think that's it. So I think that was great. And then we had another comment which someone just posted a or a quote from a book that was on our like church finance podcast, which I'm not even going to bother reading it. Cause it's like, well, it's not even their opinion. They're just quoting a book. So thumbs up, but I do appreciate you sourcing your, you know, citing your material. <laughs> so I, I do appreciate I, that.
1: <laughs> well, as, as two grad students right now, I think we can appreciate a good old.
0: Exactly. <laughs> um, I wish everyone did that on Facebook. Right. You nah. say this is true. Where's your sources? Just look it up. Like no, please. Put I think the I think now that source.
1: <laughs> I think now the term that's thrown away, thrown around is a uh, fact checker. Like you need to be fact checked. Um, yeah, but and you can't use Snopes.
0: You can't use any of the other fact checkers sucks because they all have a media bias, right? Snopes, hmm. no, factcheck.com. dot com. Like no, they're biased.
1: Um. Yeah, I to those people that reached out i'm I'm glad they did you know i would i would love to have a conversation so if they're willing to come on you know i'm, I'm sure that you wouldn't care if if we were able to arrange that and they wanted to come Absolutely on the show. Not. i wouldn't care We could have that conversation i would love to i would love to know more about what their what their goal is what their mission is what what, what do they think because Cause you know, not that I'm saying yes or no or, or anything and, and Scott, you'd probably say the same thing, but like, I think we're all just kind of wondering what, what is their goal? What, what do they want? They keep saying the word affirm. What, what does that mean? So I would and love I to. Think,
0: and I think, yeah, I think that's the thing of like, what do you mean by affirm? And I, cause I mean, that's, a, I mean, there's, I mean. We could say, well, we're accepting, but do, are we affirming? And sometimes people may think that's the same thing, but they could be two different things. So I think that's kind of where um, we really need to kind of nail down the brass tacks and kind of really, and who knows, maybe that conversation might make them feel like they might need to clear up their verbiage a little bit better on their uh, website just to kind of, but again, like, you know, I think this conversation, I think we actually one of them mentioned, you know, if we ever want to have a conversation or if they ever have them on the show we're, you know, they would like to do it. So I think that could be something we would, we definitely would do in the future. So, yeah. 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 For you L.A. Knight people out there. People are like, who the L.A. Night? You know who it is. <laughs> All right, friends. Well, thank you so much for listening. I know we went off the tangent, and again, if you have any comments about any of our episodes, which I don't even know what episode this is—like one eighty-six, one eighty-seven—like we're we're close. We're getting close to two hundred episodes of the Scott Simmons Podcast. Which maybe that maybe I've the two never...
1: hundredth episode could be the the firm people coming on. Your...
0: Oh man, what an anniversary episode that would be! Yeah, so we'll <laughs> we'll figure it out. I'll, I'll I'll try to work something out. But yeah, friends, thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And we'll be back on with another episode. Take care.